Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Activist. I'm Siri Kalsa, and I'm delighted to have you join me today for another great conversation about how businesses can engage in social and political issues to lead positive change in the world. My guest today is Jeff Scheinbein. Jeff is a CEO and co-founder of Social Imprints, a very successful social enterprise based in San Francisco, which produces branded corporate materials serving some of the biggest clients in Silicon Valley. He says, we wanted to create a different kind of printing company, one that would offer high quality promotional products and outstanding customer service while providing maximum social returns to the community. As a social enterprise, Social Imprints provides career opportunities and a living wage to people who need a second chance. At least 80% of the social imprints workforce are from at-risk populations, including formerly incarcerated individuals, recovering addicts, low-income individuals, individuals with less than a high school education, and recently discharged veterans. In 2011, Bloomberg Business Week named Jeff Scheinbein America's most promising social entrepreneur. I'm really delighted that Jeff is joining us today so we can learn more about what it really takes to be a corporate activist from the frontline perspective. Welcome, Jeff. We're really happy to have you on the Corporate Activist Podcast. And I like to start just to get to know my guests a little bit and learn more about your background and what got you interested in sustainability and corporate activism. Great. Thanks for having me. So I have a business degree from University of California, Berkeley, and have always been interested in business and starting my own business. But really what got me to start Social Imprints and some of the other social enterprises that I've started is kind of a deep commitment to social responsibility and fair chance employment. And having grown up with a severe learning disability, kind of understanding the barriers to entry with the people that we're trying to serve and really seeing out in the social enterprise marketplace that there really were no opportunities for people that have barriers to employment like ex-offenders and recovering addicts, veterans of the military or underrepresented minorities, really to get opportunities to white collar, higher paying jobs. There was a ton of opportunities for kind of blue collar transitional work, but not really anything for people who are capable of more. And so you started Social Imprints, and we'd love to hear more about actually what you do with Social Imprints. But what you said is that it's actually not just about a business, but it's really the business being a vehicle for the mission. And I'd love to hear what does that mean for you? And what is the driving mission of Social Imprints? Our core business is selling branded promotional products. And we work with a lot of the big tech companies here in the Bay Area, Oracle, Stripe, Dropbox, NetSuite, and and many others. And we do e-commerce stores with them. And we do fulfillment programs and branded merchandise for their worldwide distribution. But, you know, that really wasn't the driving force behind Social Imprints. Although I have really become fond of the promotional products business, that really had nothing to do with starting Social Imprints. That was really a vehicle to deliver the social change and the fair chance employment. The fair chance employment, the providing the opportunities, higher paying professional opportunities to folks in need really was the driving force behind the business, but we needed a vehicle, you know, with the term driving force, we needed the vehicle to drive that, to be able to provide the jobs and the promotional products industry really is just the vehicle to provide the jobs and act the social mission, which is the reason why we're all at social imprints. And, you know, the reason why 
our board of directors. Uh, we have a very high powered social impact board of directors and investors were, were interested in social imprints. The main mission is around providing employment opportunities for these underserved and more, let's say, expansive employment opportunities for this for people who don't usually get those kind of opportunities. But it looks like you've also incorporated a lot of transparency, a lot of social good into all aspects of your business. The providing higher paying professional jobs to at-risk adults or folks with barriers to employment is just basically our hiring practice. It's a lot of people including customers, get confused to think that that's our social mission. Our social mission is to teach accountability and drive continuous improvement in a safe, supportive, teamwork-driven environment. So basically what we're trying to do is role model business, the right way to do business with folks that may not have had good role modeling in their lives. So we're really role modeling accountability and everything that we do in terms of our goal setting and continuous improvement. And if folks don't reach goals and in helping them to do that and providing a supportive environment, uh, anti-bullying, we have a transparent teamwork driven environment. And what we're doing there is that Social Imprints is an open book company where salaries and financial statements are all open book for all of our employees. And we actually present the financial statements quarterly to the company and explain how to read them properly. And again, it's not like everybody walks around saying, what do you earn? What do you earn? What do you earn? But if people ask, I will tell them. And I think it's important to behave and conduct business in a transparent way and not to keep all of the main information up to the one or two people at the top who have all the power and maybe who own the majority of the company. So that's really our core values that permeate every aspect of the business. And again, our hiring core value is really around the job opportunities. And is there something, because you say that the printing or the actual business part of it was just something that could fulfill this other social idea. So in a way, it could have almost been any business, right? It could have been a restaurant or it could have been, you know, anything that allowed you to bring in these people who need opportunities and provide them with the support to succeed and to thrive. The driving force behind the business was to provide higher paying professional job opportunities and then also to have ownership, which I'll talk about in a second. So I don't think a, a certain industries would have lent itself to, to that purpose. So for instance, you mentioned the restaurant business probably wouldn't have been a great fit because the majority of those opportunities are lower paying kind of blue collar, non-career opportunities. So the promotional products industry is a really good industry because it, it has all of the different business disciplines to be able to teach. We have sales, we have marketing, we have graphic arts, we have logistics, we have vendor purchasing. So we really could provide lots of different types of higher paying job opportunities. And the reason why it would have to also be a for-profit company is because we have employee ownership. So 15% of the company is owned by employees. So if there's a change of ownership or a sale, 15% of the proceeds would go towards the employees that have been voted into our employee incentive program. And also 15% of profits get divvied up amongst the employees that have voted into that same program. How do you do your recruiting? Uh, that's a question we get asked a lot. That's probably other than, you know, how did I come up with the company? 
I think this is probably the question that gets asked the most. We just put out ads like everybody else does. We put out ads on Indeed and, and ZipRecruiter and through different industry job posting sites. And we tell people, here's what we do. Here's who we hire. And then we highly encourage people that fit with that are either ex-offenders, recovering addicts, underrepresented minorities. And we go down the list. We highly encourage people to apply who fit one of those categories. And so currently about 70, about 70, 75% of the company fits the the social mission profile. Yeah, that's amazing. And since you're someone who's actually running a social enterprise, I'm really curious what aspects of what you're doing is working really well and what aspects have you found to be the most challenging? Because I imagine having people who probably haven't been in a professional work environment or dealt with face-to-face customers before. This is, you know, a whole new thing for those kind of people. But how is it for you as someone who's running a very successful company has managed to do this? It's very challenging. There are some great aspects of running a social enterprise and, and getting to do, you know, a tremendous amount of good in the world, you know, makes you feel good at night when you're trying to sleep. And the investors, board of directors, people involved with the company, you know, are really proud to be a part of a company that is delivering so much social return. The things that we probably, if I had to do it over again and could probably be doing a better job on and, and, and are really trying very hard to improve in these aspects is really around the support services that we provide. What we've really realized over the years is that you need a tremendous amount of support services. So whether that be counseling, additional job training, mediation, anger management classes, resolution dispute, different groups maybe around sobriety to supplement what people are already doing. Like you really do financial awareness, training, credit risk, all the different things that, you know, a lot of us take for granted who've been trained on that, maybe even in higher education or having gone through school and getting access to these types of trainings. I think that for folks that have may not have had access to these types of trainings or that need additional support, you know, we're really working on trying to build that more and, and bake it more into the program, into the company. And so the cost for that kind of thing is built into your economic model? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We build in what many people refer to as social costs. It is kind of built into our overhead cost model. And so we have a little bit of a higher cost structure than one of our competitors, which is why we're developing a workforce development company that it's going to be a 501c3 that would help offset some of those costs because we're looking to kind of standardize our support services now, but then looking to really increase those support services and different training programs in the future as well. You mentioned you've got some of the big names in Silicon Valley that you work for. How do they engage with your mission and how important is it to them, the kind of people that they're working with? It's critically important to them, which is the reason why we can get our foot in the door to a lot of the major companies. What typically tends to happen is that we will get access to the Oracles, the NetSuites, the Dropboxes, the Pinterest the Facebooks through our social mission. So they'll want to work with a vendor that meets certain socially responsible criteria that they have to meet at their company. So they have to check off certain boxes for the vendors. And we, of course, check off that socially responsible box. But to be honest, after that, it's really just about competing and providing the same price, value, customer service that all of our competitors have to provide. So it's interesting to see 
that will be working with a purchasing agent at a big tech company for two, three years. And they, you know, as is fairly typical in Silicon Valley, people jump around to different companies a, a lot. And so when we get a new purchasing agent that doesn't know of our social mission, and then, you know, maybe a year later, we'll say, hey, do you, you know, do you know about what we do at Social Imprints? And they'll say, no, not really. It really does kind of bring a smile to my face to hear that they're working with us like they would any other promotional products company that we're able to compete in some cases, outcompete our competitors just based on customer service and value. And those are really the important things to building a sustainable business. Yeah. And I think that's one of the key pieces to having a successful social enterprise is that as compelling as your social mission might be, if you can't deliver on the business side, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. There's no jobs. There's no business coming through. There's no jobs that you can create. There's no social good that you can create if you don't have the business. It's really interesting that you've found what sounds like both an industry and approach, a costing approach that can serve this successfully and to be sustainable, right? Because you guys are, you're, you're actually like making money, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, our, our board of directors and our investors expect a return on their money, right? So, you know, if I'm being really honest, the main reason that they invested in social imprints was for the social good. I mean, we have some very, very high network individuals that the social imprints investment is not going to make or break their portfolios. In fact, and for most people, it's a very small part of their portfolio. So I'm under no illusions that they would have been interested in social imprints if it wasn't for our social mission. But they also expect a return. So if they invested, you know, 50,000, they expect at some point in the future to get 150 or 200,000. It's a significant deliverable that you have not only to provide exceptional products and services to workforce that's, that's doing what you need to do, but then also, yeah, provide a return to your investors. I mean, you know, that's quite a lot that you've managed. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not easy trying to kind of balance both sides, but everything does really revolve around creating a successful business at the end of the day. I'd want to know what sort of advice you have for businesses who are looking to take a stance, but maybe they're hesitant. You know, you're dealing with people who are ex-offenders, ex-addicts, which, you know, it's kind of a tricky thing to manage. I'm curious if there's a business owner out there who's interested in getting involved in something similar or something where, you know, it's perhaps a bit divisive, what advice might you have for them? I think really going in with your eyes wide open. I mentioned earlier that in order to make it work with the population that we're working with and that other business owners or CEOs might be trying to start business with a different population or similar, is you got to have that support services. You got to have the infrastructure built within the business to be able to handle a population, people that may not have the same training or the same kind of experience that a workforce that didn't have some of these challenges. So for example, we're providing employment to, there's a lot of people that this is not, not necessarily their first job, but their first kind of office professional job. And there's a certain office white collar culture that you know, in terms of being on time, in terms of how you deal with your coworkers, how you deal with vendors, how you deal with customers, that can be quite challenging for people that don't have that experience and don't have a previous company experience to draw from. It really building in, and you may have to provide additional support training to employees that another business may not have to provide, which there's going to bear an extra cost. 
And then if things don't work out with employees, you know, learning how to not take things personally, you know, things can get quite ugly, any company environment where you have employees, but especially ones that have been really screwed over by the system. Right. Right. And really have issues with authority figures, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you have a group of people that had the authority figures and the people that were in charge of taking care of them really screwed them over, including the system. So when they get into a company setting, sometimes it can be hard for them to be able to trust authority figures. And so things can get a little rocky at times. And so just understanding that and not taking things personally, I think is a a big piece of advice that I would give to people. And that I do, I mean, people reach out all the time who want to start social enterprises across the world. And, you know, that's a lot of the same advice that that I try to share with entrepreneurs. And that seems like good advice for any business, really. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that a lot of businesses have the same challenges that we do. We just tend to be open about it, right? So there's a lot of businesses that employ recovering addicts and ex-offenders and all the different classifications that we provide, except the employer may not know about it. Although nowadays with background checks, it's very difficult to hide things. Back in the day, before the advent of technology in terms of background checks and instant background checks, you could hide certain things on your resume and your employment. So at least we know a lot of things up front and can deal with them up front versus, you know, some other companies may be in the dark about who they're working with. That level of transparency helps any company to be able to really support their employees to perform at their best while not having to feel ashamed, not having to feel less than, which hopefully provides for a more open and supportive work environment, I would imagine. And for a lot of business owners out there faced with like a million different challenges, whether it's the environment or health issues or education issues, you know, you chose to work on helping this population of people to find jobs and livelihoods. And I'm curious why that versus any other cause out there? What was it that spoke to you about it? I think it's just, again, really seeing that there is a need in the marketplace, right? There are like 5,000 different social enterprises in the country, and very few of them are really tackling this issue that we're trying to address at Social Imprints. And then also just a direct connection for me with my learning disability around, you know, being able to connect with employees that I think other CEOs and other founders would have difficult time connecting with, right? I, I can really understand the challenges of being part of a group that has barriers to employment. I mean, one of the groups that we hire people with physical and mental disabilities, and I would be part of that group. I just, you know, was very lucky to have a support system growing up that allowed me to kind of get through the challenges of society and get through the challenges of school. So I was able to take a different path, but, you know, it was still very much a struggle for me. And, you know, so in many ways, I think I could probably relate to our mission employees in ways that, you know, another CEO would have difficult time relating to. Having a secure livelihood is really the basis of kind of the foundation of a life for so many people, being able to have a job that brings them not only a steady income, but a sense of community, a livelihood, especially through some of my experience and work that I've done is really the key. You know, like I found that if people have a good job, like 99% of their problems go away. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say in the 99% of the problems, but, you know, I, I, would, okay. agree. I, would, <laughs> I would agree with you that the job is the key. They interviewed the head of the World Bank, uh, saw an interview with him on CNN, and they said, well, you know, we've done such a great job of eradicating poverty in, in the third world and went through all the statistics, whether it be China, India, and the, not the thousands, but the tens of millions of people that have come out of poverty. And they asked him, he's the former head of Visa, and they asked him, well, what is the key to getting people out of poverty? And he said, without hesitation, within a matter of seconds, a job. It starts with a job. There is a massive mental health crisis that is fueling. That's why I said kind of tongue in cheek that I would disagree with the 99% because the problem is, is that you may be able to get the job, but if the person is not in a stable enough environment, especially with housing or with mental health or within their recovery, chances are that job isn't going to go very far and it's going to kind of come to pieces. So those other aspects we need to tackle, we need to do a better job in the company and in society of tackling those issues, those other, I'd say 25%. Yeah, no, that I think that's a better number. <laughs> Last question. You're in California, so you know, we'll imagine you're sort of not only on the front line of social enterprise, but let's say the front line of progressive thinking. So I'm just curious, how do you see social enterprise and businesses getting involved in social and political issues evolving over the next 10 to 20 years? I think that you're seeing a lot more formation of social enterprises that are creative in trying to duplicate a model of social imprints around the higher paying professional jobs. You're seeing a lot in the media and in the computer programming space. So you're seeing a lot of companies creating training programs for people to do Salesforce coding and NetSuite coding or network management, website creation. So you're seeing the internet play a huge role in the types of training and positions that are going to be coming on board for folks that have barriers to employment. And you're also seeing more for-profit companies get involved in this space. So they're creating their own kind of foundations, like Oracle has done a really good job with the Oracle Foundation to provide training for students in computer programming. So I think what you're seeing is a lot of for-profit companies that are getting involved in the development of people with barriers to employment at an earlier age, right? We're catching them at social imprints, folks that are, you know, in their 20s, but for the most part, 30s and 40s, you know, that's kind of the average age of the folks that work with us at social imprints. You're seeing a lot of for-profit companies, especially tech companies, getting involved in education, right? To be able to cut off some of these issues so that people don't have barriers to employment are not as many because they're being dealt with at a much earlier age. That's really where I see, I, I don't see this huge boom in these types of businesses like social imprints in terms of providing the white collar professional employment to adults. I think really what we're seeing is a boom in trying to supplement a less than stellar education system that we have in this country and underfunded community college program. That's really what you're seeing. Also in the community college scale, like we're putting together this workforce development company with the community college district of San Francisco, where we're taking folks within their the community college program and doing education classes and doing apprenticeships and then doing job placement within sitting alongside social imprints. So I think you're seeing a lot of the two-year universities trying to get involved in this workforce development program, which I believe is really the way of the future. Like providing 
apprenticeships for people that have barriers to employment. So rather than just throwing them into a company like Social Imprints, you're providing that apprenticeship to give them the best hope of succeeding. I think what you're pointing out is how business is having to pick up where government has not been able to serve and whether that's in education or mental health or you know even job opportunities or health care there is a vacuum there right and the corporate sector you know in some ways has the ability to take action on these issues in a much more efficient and much more effective way than a government which right now doesn't look like it's you know really got its act together on a lot of these issues especially the government could have such a massive impact on employment for at-risk adults or folks with barriers to employment if they would just beef up the community college district and with that apprenticeships i mean it would make a massive difference with a very low investment. I mean, the investment in funding community college districts and apprenticeships is, is minuscule compared to the other projects on the, in the overall budget. And we just don't seem to have a priority. You know, I think there's the focus on cutting programs and trying to reduce the budget rather than, than increase this type of spending that will provide a massive investment and actually reduce the overall budget because the tax revenue that will come in from folks that are working with higher paying professional jobs will far exceed the investment spending that we would have to make in these types of programs. That's sort of a level of sophisticated thinking that we're not seeing a lot of from our politicians these days. Yeah, I So is that, is that kind of what you're... <laughs> what you're trying to do with your workforce training uh, program. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's right. So it, it's a partnership with CCSF, Community College of San Francisco. We're going to be people within the Community College of San Francisco who fit the social mission, of ex-offender, recovering addict, underrepresented minority, and a few of the other boxes. They have to check one of those boxes, and then they will be eligible, and they will actually receive university credit or a community college credit to take the apprenticeship program. So it consists of education training in their area of expertise or in their particular area of emphasis that they're studying at community college. And then they pass a test and then they go on to the apprenticeship program where they work within a specific department at Social Imprints on live customer projects alongside someone at Social Imprints in that department, pass another test and then do job readiness training in terms of interviews and writing cover letters and resumes. And then we will have a job placement person place them in either one of the other promotional products companies or at Social Imprints if we have an opening, or with one of our partner companies, whether it be an Oracle, a Dropbox, some companies that are looking to hire entry-level positions. The folks that come through our workforce development company will be certainly ready and can do a really good job at entry-level positions. And then in addition, we're also going to be funding the apprenticeship program with a $3,000 a month stipend so that candidates can not have to have the stress of you know rent or paying bills or other financial commitments that they have they can really focus on the program amazing and you know in case we have listeners anywhere in the world who are really interested in getting some great promotional products from social imprints do you guys you're shipping anywhere you print t-shirts and mugs and all that kind of stuff 
We're primarily business to business. So we don't, uh, unfortunately, not yet do custom, you know, kind of direct consumer orders, although that is a social enterprise that we're looking to create a kind of a more custom ink consumer model where if you need 20 t-shirts for your softball team or your bachelor party or your baby shower, you know, you can come to this new social enterprise that there'll be more information coming out about that. But, you know, we would love to hear from people and, and work with companies that really value what we're doing. And we're one of the largest promotional products company in the industry. So we have a ton of experience in putting together branding projects for, you know, some of the most successful brands in the world. Well, Jeff, this has been fabulous. I've got two wrap up questions, if you'll indulge me. The first one is, can you give a shout out to a brand or a company that you feel is doing exceptional work in the activism space? I think that the ones that we come across are not, not necessarily kind of in the activism space, but are in the social enterprise, the, the training space that we're a part of. I think the Oracle Foundation does an amazing job. And I think Dropbox Foundation as well does an amazing job of working with students and underserved people in trying to get them specific tech training that will set them up for life in the Bay Area and the most expensive probably community in the world to give them the higher paying professional job and, and set them off to a really rewarding and fulfilling career. Great. Okay. Well, I'm not very familiar with either of those. So we'll check them out and we'll put links in the show notes as well so people can take a look. And then last question, what's something that's made you laugh recently? That's a good question. With everything that's going on in the world, there's not a lot of laughter. I think, you know, something as kind of simple like I'm a big foodie so I tend to spend a large part of my disposable income on you know fancy restaurants all, all over the world you know we get food flown in from different companies that will ship food over so I think seeing eating you know Jewish pastrami and cheesesteaks from Philadelphia and just seeing the expression on people's faces when they kind of get a sense for, you know, why I'm so excited about food and getting to try all these. Because we, we do like once a week, we'll do like the kind of a food party with our team that, that are in the office. So just getting to see kind of the enjoyment and getting people who are also helping out with the cooking kind of, it just brings a smile to my face to have that togetherness. Food is definitely something that does bring everyone together and makes us happy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Well, Jeff, it's been a great conversation and I really appreciate your time and sharing your experience with social imprints. I think, you know, on this podcast, we've talked to people who are perhaps on a bit more of a theoretical level than you and you're really doing this day in, day out. And it's great to have your perspective and to hear that, you know, it sounds like there's a way to make it successful, but, you know, it's also really challenging and you have to make it work on lots of different levels to really be a successful social enterprise and put your values in action. So thanks so much for sharing all that with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on X and Instagram at Corp Activist. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions of your own or need some advice about corporate activism, social impact, and political engagement, please send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Siri Kalsa. Ciao for now.